I'm going to preach the whole book. More or less. Okay. <laughs> I've told you all about one time over in Romania. On a, a moment's notice, I was informed that I was going to teach the book of Revelation. At 2 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. Wasn't anybody at church. Wasn't anybody scheduled to be there. I got up there in the church. And of course I had an interpreter there. And uh, I asked. How long are you going to do it? He said until you get done. That was what the pastor was saying. To Brother Scout. I started at. About 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's on Tuesday afternoon. Nobody had a car. They're all walking to church. It was the only vehicle in the whole church. Big church. And even had a balcony. By the time we got into it, the balcony was even full. That couldn't happen anywhere in the United States of America. Wouldn't, it just wouldn't happen. But we had a full house. And I, I worked on the book of Revelation till after 10 o'clock that night. Nobody left. Couldn't happen. I don't know of any place in the United States that would happen. Would nobody sit still for that? But they, they did. Anyway. All right. Now what I'm going to talk about is a subject that's very near to my heart, has been ever since I was a kid. The scriptural doctrine of Baptist church perpetuity. Now, we just had, had a little conversation just a minute ago, Brother Tim, Brother Derek, myself. There is so precious little of this in the United States of America. There's a handful of churches that you could ever find this being taught and stood for. And I mean a, a, a small handful. You can drive for hundreds of miles and never come in contact with a, a church, even a Baptist church, that believes this doctrine. Some Southern Baptists used to believe it. They don't believe it now. Some independent Baptists never have believed it. But it is rare, few and far between, that teach this doctrine. It is a scriptural doctrine. We ought not to be teaching anything that is not 100% proved by the Bible. Amen. And it is proven by the Bible. Now, uh, all subjects ought to begin with definitions. And this one, church, Baptist church perpetuity. Well, you're just talking about Matthew 16, 18. Go there real quick. You're not apt to hear something brand new from me. But, and I hope this won't be my last time. If I live, it's not going to be my last time. When Christ had asked Peter, or the apostles, Who am I? Whom do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 17, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, that's what bar Jonah means, because flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. That's why you're blessed, brother. That's how you're blessed. Your flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven 
reveal this unto you. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm going to stop right there, because I don't want this have to go too long with this. But this passage of Scripture is one of the two places in the Gospel of Matthew that our subject is established. Paul carries it on in the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to show you that. But the Roman Catholics, they claim that Jesus founded his church on Peter, which is a total lie. And all you have to do is rightly divide, expound this passage, and you know it's a lie. But that's what they say. Well, and then the Protestants. Protestants are those that came out of the Roman Catholic Church. And then you've got another group called Reformed Baptist, who they make themselves Protestants. And the Southern Baptist Convention, they teach that they are Protestants. And I'm going to agree with them. They are Protestants. They are not Baptists. Somebody argue with me over that, would you? To my face, would somebody argue with me over that? They themselves say they are not Baptists. They're Protestants. They say that Jesus started the church on the strength of Peter's confession. Now, the Catholics say it's on Peter. But you see, thou art Peter, that is the Greek word, the uh, masculine that, that says, you're a little rock. And upon this neuter, bedrock, not Peter, but Jesus, I will build my church. Jesus Christ is the foundation of his church. Amen. Now you say, well, what about Peter's confession? Here's his confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. His confession is true. But as Jesus said, you didn't figure this out, Peter. My Father in heaven revealed this unto you. Salvation is a revelation. Now, Peter didn't have the strength of anything. Matter of fact, a little bit later he says, Get behind me, Satan. And here, Verse 18, he says, now first he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. Your intellect did not figure this out. My Father which is in heaven revealed it to you. Amen. So it has nothing to do with your intellect, Peter. You didn't figure it out. Now, and he says, I say also unto thee. Now also connects that with what he just said. And I don't care what version you've got, also is there in the Greek. You may remember me talking about this. I'm teaching this at Bihakadestes, Hungary, and the mission there. I don't know how many years ago, quite a few. That doctor, I can't remember his name, that was the uh, translator. Y'all met him, didn't you? I can't remember his name, but he was a doctor, well-educated. He could speak English, he's, but he's also Hungarian, also Romanian, I think. Huh? Dr. Ed. Dr. Ed, okay. And uh, so we're getting ready for the service, and you always need to do this with a translator 
go over with him what you're going to be talking about so he can get it in his head and be ready to translate the words because all words are not readily translator, translatable. And those that believe the King James is, is divinely inspired, you need to understand this, that no translation of one language to another is possible to be perfect. It is impossible to have a perfect translation. What's his name? Uh, Rudman? It's impossible to have a tr perfect translation. Anybody ever dealt with languages knows I'm telling the truth. Because languages do not lend themselves to every language. And there's always words and phrases and expressions that will not translate. So you go over it with your translator and make sure that he can handle what you're going to do. And he had his Hungarian Bible. And we got to this, I'm going over it, I said, now is the word also in your translation? Because he had the Hungarian translation of the Greek. And he looked at it and he said, no. I said, then you get rid of that piece of junk. I don't want you using that Bible. Then we asked if anybody there had a translation that was equivalent to the King James. Yeah, the old preacher. His daughter and son-in-law were there. Uh, he had been a preacher. He was an old man now. Yes, he had a Bible. I said, see if he'll, borrow, he'll loan that to us. And he did. Now I said, now his word also in that translation. He said, yes. I said, now you use that Bible. Don't you bring that piece of junk back in here. If it don't have the word also, it's a lie. It's a perversion. It's not a version. Now, I don't know what modern translations, they call them translations, have got. I haven't checked them all out on it. But I mean that. That word's necessary for this text. Amen. He said, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. Meaning... You're not the principal here. Amen. And also, along with that, yeah. thou art a little rock. Mm -hmm. And this rock, the bedrock, Jesus, upon this, this bedrock, I will build my church. Not Peter. Catholic Church, you're a bunch of liars. Protestants, Southern Baptists, you're a bunch of liars. Preach the Bible, not your own man-made doctrine. I hope somebody will challenge me. They won't. They'll act like they didn't even read it or hear it. Anyhow, you've got this scripture in Matthew 28. Verse 16, then the eleven disciples, those are apostles. The apostles had to be a disciple, but all disciples weren't apostles. Remember that. Why have we got eleven and not twelve? Because Judas was a devil from the beginning. The others did not know that. That was God's business. But now there's only 11 members of the first John the Baptist Baptist Church in Jerusalem. Went away into Galilee to a mountain where Jesus had pointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power. Now that the Geneva Bible's got authority, and that's what the word is. It's authority. It's not, but everybody, almost all preachers, they quote that, say, well, he's got all power. That's not what he's saying. He's got all authority in heaven and in earth. This is all about authority, not God's explosive power. 
All authority is given unto me in heaven. Where to get it in heaven? Got it from God. And in earth, where to get it in earth? He got it from John the Baptist. Thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. You ain't never heard another preacher expound that. And there, uh, that's a shame. That's exactly what that verse means. It doesn't just mean general anything. So you all, ye, second person plural, the eleven, as they constitute the assembly of God. Y'all, not one of you. Y'all, as a church and assembly, my kind of church, therefore, go and teach all nations to make a disciple. You can't make disciples. Only God, he just, only God can make disciples. Amen. You must go and do what he said, sow the word, preach the word. And when the word comes in the power of the Holy Spirit, it'll accomplish something. Not until. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Ghost. There's the formula for baptism. These so-called Jesus only freaks. They're heretics. Here's your baptism formula. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, thus, I am with you by days, is what the Greek says, even unto the end of the world. He's not generally with his kind of church. He's absolutely with his kind of church day upon day upon day. It's been 2,000 years since he said this. There's never been a day that Jesus has not been with his kind of church. There's never been a day that his kind of church has not been somewhere on the face of the earth. Amen. There's the church doctrine of Baptist church continued existence, perpetuity. All right, I wanted to get that out. Now I want to go to the book of Ephesians. And I might add this. The gates of hell does not mean that something's coming out of hell at you. It's the jaws of death. Death is what he promised. Which is the last enemy that shall be put down. Death is the strongest enemy that any of us have. We're not going to escape it. <clears throat> we talked about it a little bit this morning. We're not going to escape it. Do you know what? I use this as an example. David might be able to remember some of this. But on my mother's side of the family, we used to get together up at Slade, Kentucky. And we'd have a family reunion. It was one of them where I took the studs and wouldn't eat because they wouldn't let me go to the boat with the big boys, go to the creek and swim. They's making homemade ice cream this way, not with the pushing the button. They's making it this way. That's in them days, buddy. Banana and peach and oh. And I wouldn't. They wouldn't let me go swimming with the big boys. And I took the studs, as my mother called it. I ain't gonna eat. Well, honey, come on. We got some homemade ice cream. I ain't going to eat it. Mess with me. I ain't going to eat your food. How you like that? Believe you me, they went on and ate that ice cream. And I finally got, went back and wanted some. 
and it was gone. I never got a taste of that peach or that banana. Never got a taste of fresh peach and fresh bananas. Mm-mm. I took the studs. Well, we don't have enough family left to even have any kind of a family reunion. They're all dead. I look around. They're all dead. Call them. You can't. They're not here. Call five. You can't call and find out anything from anybody. They're all dead. Death's our biggest enemy. Death wipes out nations. How many Philistines do you know? How many Babylonians do you know? How many Medes do you know? They're all gone. Death got them. The boy, they're powerful. Yeah, they're powerful until they die. <laughs> Death is what Jesus promised would not prevail against his kind of church. How many Baptist believers have died in the last 2,000 years? Well, J.M. Carroll and Trail of Blood says over 50 million. A. Davis says 60 to 70 million. Mm-hmm. 50 is a lot. 50 million? There hadn't been that many people killed in all the war since then. Put together. 50 million? Now, I expect if we last long enough, they'll have that with babies. But anyway, and guess what? The Lord's churches are still here. And that's only because of God's promise. And he has the power to carry it out. Anyway, look at the book of Ephesians. Now, we love the book of Ephesians. We love the doctrines of grace. They love the doctrine of sovereignty of God. And you don't get any better teaching Ephesians 1 and Romans 8, you know, where do you get better teaching than that? On those subjects. And all of our Reformed Baptist brethren, they'll hang in on those scriptures a lot. But uh, they don't get all of them. They leave a lot of them unread. I say the whole book of Ephesians proves the perpetuity of the Lord's kind of church. Y'all know what an axiom is? A-X-I-O-M. J.R. Graves uses that word a lot. Of course, he wrote in the 19th century. That is a fixed truth. And I want to give you an axiom here. There has never been a reformation of the Lord's church. Nor will there ever be. I've heard some say we need another reformation. That last reformation liked to kill us. It did kill a lot of us. Because then, then our, 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 our persecution, not just coming from Catholics, now it's coming from Anglicans and Lutherans and Presbyterians, all kinds of them. Never has been a reformation of the Lord's church. Never has been, never will be, nor has there ever been a need for it. Ephesians 1, verse 22. This is my first point. The divine appointment of the head of the church. And he hath put all things under his feet 
and gave him to be the head over all things to the assembly. This is right being written to the assembly at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. That word church does not mean universal and visible. There isn't any such thing. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And you better watch these people talking about the body of Christ. When they're talking about the body of Christ, they're talking about the universal invisible body of Christ. The body of Christ talks about that individual assembly. Local, visible assembly. Who's the head of it? Is it Constantine? Is it Martin Luther? Is it John Calvin? Is it John Knox? Is it King Henry VIII? Is it William Brown? Is it John or Charles Wesley? Is it Alexander Campbell? Is it Jacobus Weinbrenner? That's the church of God, son. says right here here's the head of his church if you've got somebody up there you ain't in the right church alright the same God who is verse 11 of chapter 1 in whom also we have obtained an inheritance he's talking to the church at Ephesus being predestinated according to the Purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. But you Protestants and you Reformation Reformed Baptists, you Southern Baptists, you want us to believe that somehow the head got cut off and the church got destroyed and had to wait till Martin Luther came by came by and, and started the, the Lord's church again or John Calvin or the rest of those guys that they had to come and do what the Lord couldn't do they talk about how they believe in a sovereign God but as I've told a bunch of them your God ain't nearly as sovereign as mine is your God can't per perpetuate his kind of church even against his promises of it but my God can and does and did Now, so far, we're in Scripture, aren't we? Amen. Yeah. All right. That's where we want to stay. Uh, he worked all things out after the counsel of his own will. Now, hold your place there and look at Colossians real quick. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That's his creative power and his providential power. And <laughs> he is the head of the body, the church. Amen. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have the preeminence. Not Martin Luther. Not John Calvin or any of the rest of them. Well I've got a bunch more scriptures. Zechariah 6. 1 Corinthians 3. Hebrews 3. The false doctrine of the universal invisible church. Is a Protestant cop out. Schofield in his notes. He'll have local church for a note. Then he'll have true church. According to his notes, the local church is not a true church. The only true church is universal and visible. That's Schofield. Rank heresy. I don't have time for all this, but 
I was going to talk about the trilemma J.R. Graves wrote about. Number two, Ephesians, the second chapter. Verse 19. Now therefore, ye, y'all, are no more strangers and foreigners. He's talking about the church at Ephesus. But fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Here's my second point. The divine appointment of the first members of the church. Now if the Lord's church, as Protestantism, even by their existence, let alone they claim it, that the true church died out during the dark ages because of persecution, that's what they say and their existence says that. That's what they believed. And the Reformation was the beginning of the Lord's church all over again. Because according to them, the Lord's churches have been dead. Well, it depends on when you begin the Dark Ages. According to the Trail of Blood chart, he's got it back between the 3rd third, third and 4th century. Probably so. They don't call them dark ages now, folks. Our history revisionist calls it middle ages. But I still call it dark ages because that's when the Catholic Church got their growth spurt and began to murder Baptists. Anyway, but they say that they killed out the true churches. And so there wasn't any. From the 5th century... All the way up to the 16th century. For 1100 years there weren't any true witnesses. But I don't pay any attention to the history. They can't pay any attention to the history. Because the true history will prove the presence of God's churches. That didn't die out anyhow. Think of this. If the Lord's churches died out during the... Dark ages, the head had no body. Poor, poor Jesus. That's what they're saying. They demonstrate it and they voice it. Southern Baptist Cemetery in Louisville, they teach that Baptists came out of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. They teach it. If you're a Southern Baptist, you're not a Baptist. Come on, argue with me, somebody. Anyway. Secondly, the divine appointment of the first members of the first church. He not only set the members in the church. He continued to do so. Look real quick at Acts. Chapter 5. Verse 12. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought or worked among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That wasn't their building, that's just where they all were gathered. 
And of the rest, durst or dared no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them, and believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. They were added to the Lord. The same way the Lord added to the church first apostles. Chapter 11 of Acts. It's about Barnabas. Verse 23, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Talking about the church. But it was added to the Lord. They were added to the Lord. Now 1 Corinthians 12 now I'll move on. Verse 18. But now if God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. Now this is way after the day of Pentecost. Okay. All right, so the divine appointment of the head of the church, the divine appointment of the first members of the church, but now if there weren't any churches, the Lord couldn't add any of them to them. Poor Jesus, he's got no place to put these believers. That's what they're saying. And you Reformed Baptists are saying that too, buddy. They won't get on. They won't do it. This is a continuing work. There's no cessation. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 16, 18, when he said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prove against it. The actual tense of the verb, Brother Bong. I don't know whether he's got ninja works or not. I think he does. But I've heard him say it many times. It is, I am now building and will be building. Day by day by day until I come back to receive. So the Lord has had something to do every day. But if his church has died out, there wasn't no place to go. Well, I don't have a God like that. Now, chapter 3 of Ephesians. I'm moving a little fast. I've got to. Verse 20. Now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory in the church, that's the assembly, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. Now you universal bride heretics, you all say that in heaven everybody will be the same. No, they won't. The Lord's not going to dissipate his bride in heaven. No, he's, he's got a house for her. And I might say it's a large house. Matter of fact, if you had time, we'd tell you exactly how large that house is that we saw coming down as a bride from heaven in the new earth. Large house. He said, in my house are many mansions. We see mansions all over. Many mansions. He said, I just want a cabin in glory land. No. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house are many mansions. They won't be cabins in glory land. 
in the corner of glory land. Anyway, we got the divine appointment of the head of the church, the divine appointment of the first members of the church, and the continued members of the church. Now we have the divine appointment of the institution to bring glory unto the sovereign God. He never left himself without a witness. That's why it doesn't matter how thoroughly they tried to wipe out all of the Albigenses and Donatus, Monitors, Novations, and all the rest of them. The wall, all, none of, they tried to wipe them out. They tried to commit genocide. But they weren't quite able to do it. Because if they had of, there wouldn't have been anything on this earth to bring glory to God. You say, well, what about the Masons or the Shriners? Oh, no. No, no. No. There's only one institution that brings glory to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the church that Jesus built. Amen. And that's why when you join one, you ought to be loyal to it, faithful to it. Anyway. He has not left himself without a witness. Plus, we get secondly, or nextly, verse 10 of chapter 3. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. God has appointed a message for his church to declare the manifold wisdom of God. So we believe, the reformers say, we believe in sovereign grace. So do we. We believe the doctrine of grace. So do we. But we also believe that this sovereign God, by his sovereign grace, that he gave himself for his kind of church, he organized it on, him, on himself, and he shed his blood for it, and he promised perpetuity to it, that it might continue to bring glory and honor to God through the Lord, by the Lord Jesus Christ through the church. Amen. You see, the church doesn't bring glory to itself. The church brings glory to God through Jesus Christ. Now look at chapter 4 real quick. Chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets. And some evangelists. And some pastors. Actually pastors and teachers ought to be pastor teachers. For the perfect of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man. Under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive us. So he has not only appointed, divinely appointed the institution, the members of the institution, and the message. He's also divinely appointed the offices. Do you realize that if the, all the Lord's churches died out in, in the dark ages, nobody was ordained as a pastor. Nobody was ordained as a deacon. Nobody was called to be a teacher. His work stopped. Well, We don't believe it did. Amen. We don't believe, we believe that he, he kept it going. 
that there's been a steady going. Now, uh, look at uh, chapter 5 real quick. Now, all of this wonderful counseling for husbands and wives. But that's secondary. You realize that? That marital counseling, which is the best in the whole wide world, there's nothing that can top the marital counseling of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. But that's only the secondary teaching. The primary teaching is this. Verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the assembly. <laughs> There's the primary teaching. Amen. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. This would be the divine appointment of the relationship of the body to the head. If the churches of the Lord died out in the middle of the dark ages, there was nobody. The head was gone. No members, no, no message, no offices. None of that existed. Now chapter 6. Anyway, let me, let me get this other point. The divine appointment of the bride. Where was the bride in the dark ages? If the Reformed Baptists and the Protestants, if they're right, there wasn't one. He had to get him a new one. Only it was Martin Luther, John Calvin, that got it for him. He wasn't able to get his own. That's what they're saying. And then they turn around and talk about their sovereign God. I don't know that they know him. They may. I don't know whether they do or not. Anyway, in chapter 6 of Ephesians, he gives us the divine appointment of the conduct of the members of his churches. Verse 1, Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ye fathers, verse 4, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them. Verse 9, you masters do the same things. Years ago, I was interim pastor at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church at King, Kentucky. It was an old church. It started back in the 1700s, late 1700s. And they've still got the minutes down there. Well, yes, it was during slavery time. And there were a lot of slave owners down there. Big farmers, always has been around there. And they owned a lot of slaves. But now those slaves were members of Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. They sat in the balcony. But according to their records, do you know that that church, Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, they used to be a Baptist church. They're Southern Baptists now. Do you know that they excluded slave masters from their church for speaking harshly to their slaves? You hear all this garbage 
from all of these liberals about how all slaves had, had a miserable time. It wasn't true. I'm sure it was in some cases. But it wasn't true there. Those men, slave owners, were not free to even speak harshly to them. And they enforced that. And there was one little old slave girl that got turned loose amongst some of them and got a bunch of them excluded. She must have been a real looker and a feisty little thing. But that's true. Check their minutes. It's right there. I'm going to close this as a divine appointment of the conduct of the members in the relationship of, to the family and world and Satan. Now, learn this. Christ's true churches can never be annihilated. Now, this church could fall, but all the Lord's churches will not fall. He promised perpetuity. Secondly, it's His grace that we're a member of one. Thirdly, we ought to be faithful to it and jealous for it. And fourthly, no believer can truly be fulfilled until he has submitted unto the authority of the Lord's church. That's why Jesus said, Thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. I believe the Bible teaches perpetuity, continued existence,